You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. The podcast shining a bright light on disability, sexuality, and everything in between. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. My name is Andrew Gerza. I am your disabled dicksmith, your number one queer cripple, your disabled daddy. I'm all those things to you. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new quarantine and chill episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability, sexuality, and everything in between. This is an episode of a show that I'm putting within my podcast feed, as you heard on my announcement last week. I'm doing a bunch more shows, different shows, within this very podcast feed. I'm so excited. And this is one that I'm doing regularly during the pandemic so that we can hear from disabled voices about COVID-19, how they're feeling, and what we what we should be talking about with disabled thought leaders. And I have gotten so many messages about this particular series, people saying that it's really giving them something to look forward to, people telling me how the series has made them feel less alone, people telling me how critically important the series is for them right now. So... That's just amazing, and I'm so glad that my little platform that I could produce for my bedroom has provided that for you during this time. That's all I really want to do is to give back to my community through this. So that's what we're going to do with these episodes. If you want to be a guest on A Quarantine and Chill, email me, disabilityafterdark at gmail.com, and let me know, and we'd love to have you on an episode, because it looks like we're in this for the long haul, friends. So... Let's get comfy, cozy, and quarantined together, and let's do this. On today's episode of Quarantine and Chill, I sit down with my new friends, Sarah Bensinger and Rachel Kamen, who are, who are friends, and they started the hashtag WeAreVulnerable movement, and they talk about their experiences with gastroparesis, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and how COVID-19 and social distancing has played a role in their friendship and their lives and how all these things have come together for them. And it was a great episode, really fun, really important. We also talk a little bit about mortality and death in here, um, so be aware of that, trigger warning for that. But it was a really important episode, and I'm happy to share it with you. So, no more rambling. Here's my new episode of Quarantine and Chill, right now on Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability, sexuality, and everything in between. Sarah Bensinger and Rachel Kamen, hello. Hi. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you so much for coming on this bonus episode of Disability After Dark, the quarantine and chill episode, I don't know, five or six. I don't know where I'm going to put this (laughs) one yet, but I'm so excited to have you here to talk about how you as disabled and immunocompromised people feel about COVID-19 because we don't have enough voices out there in the world 
talking about this right now from the disabled perspective. We haven't had any world leaders specifically come out and say anything about how we feel about this. So while I'm not a world leader, I am taking it upon myself to make sure that um, at least in the podcast realm, disabled voices are heard and about this because it's a scary fucking time, friends, and I want to use my voice to do that. So, so when you reached out and said we want to be a part of this, I was like, yes, please. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. And also, we're going to talk today about the two of you are starting a new podcast all about all about vulnerability and disability and all those things. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we have a lot of things in the pipeline we're really excited about. Um, thank you so much for having us. Thank you for being a voice for the voiceless. Um, it's hard enough to speak up in times of not global panic, um, but especially now it's twice as important, I think, to be vocal, be heard, get the message out there. Our message is we are the vulnerable populations that everyone keeps hearing about, everyone keeps talking about. We are not nameless, we are not faceless, we are not voiceless, although we have been invisible and erased throughout history and in the past, um, we cannot afford to be now going no, forward. Totally. And I totally agree with you and I love what you're doing and thank you for wanting to be here. We, we, could, <coughs> we could thank each other all day, but uh, <laughs> I want to move on to with the two of you. I want to move on to, um, can you introduce yourselves and tell me who you are and what you do? Yes, absolutely. Um, my name is Sarah Grace. Um, I've been a professional patient for the last four years. Um, I was in grad school to become a sex therapist, actually. Um, it was my lifelong dream and I got sick and I never got better. Um, it took about four years to get diagnosed with all my various rare diseases. Um, currently, I have uh, a combination of a lot of things, mostly all stemming from hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Um, so mainly it affects my GI system. Uh, I have gastroparesis, so I've been tube fed for about a little over two years now. Wow. Um totally different experience from you, but I have, I have GI stuff with like mm. GERD and I have GI stuff with IBS and I have GI stuff with like randomly vomiting when I'm, even though I thought I was fine. So like, <laughs> Hits yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah. So I, I understand that world very well. It's a hard world to be a part of. It really is. Um, there are so many different ways of handling GI dysfunction um, and some ways are more stigmatized than others. Um, so I've been through the feeding tube route. Um, I've now settled on fully being TPN fed, which is total perennial nutrition. Um, so I'm fed through a catheter into my heart. Wow. I didn't. Fact. Wow. Yes. You should just call yourselves like Matchy Kathy or something. <laughs> like that. It is really adorable. Uh, when we first found each other on social media, or I should say when she first reached out to me. Um, in like the most stalkerish way possible. <laughs> as we all do for each do. other in yeah. the community. Uh, we were immediately fast friends, realized we have incredible amounts of similarities, even though, you know, we struggle with different things. Um, yeah, we, when we were in the same city together, now circumstances has pulled us 
on opposite sides of the country. But when Seven we were together, we were able 19. to, yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. Um, we were, you know, dripping saline together, smoking weed on the couch together, lamenting about. Oh, you were like real life in the, in the yes. same city symptom buddies together. Yes. I like that so much. We were living the dream. So if we ever get out of quarantine. You were living the drip dream. See what I did yes. there? See what I did yes. there? Um, um, Rachel, tell me a bit about your disabilities and how they affect you. Um, so one of the things I think is interesting but it could just, whatever, is we actually have, Sarah and I have a lot of the same diagnoses, but the ways that they impact us are different. So yep. I also have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, or dysautonomia, um, mast cell, you know, all you know, and on and on. Yeah. Um, but for me, my symptoms were present my whole life, um, but just not understood. So I was actually diagnosed when I was nine, which is almost unheard of in the Ehlers-Danlos world. Yeah, right? Yeah. To be diagnosed as a kid is... I've met one other person, and that was today, who was diagnosed as a kid. Um, but for me, a lot of the biggest issues right now um, are around things like blood clots and rib dislocations. And I do have GI issues, but I'm able to eat regular food. Um, I just am not able to get enough in and enough fluid in to keep my autonomic system from going completely crazy and like trying to kill me. Fun. Fun. <laughs> so are you, are you just so that I can, so that I personally can, can like visualize the logistics of this. Are you like half tube fed and half like real food? Um, I'm pretty much, I'm on, I don't have a feeding tube. I have a port that I use for fluids and medication Oh, nice. uh, but I am still trying to get all of my nutrition through eating for as long as I can. Awesome. And being home with my mom has made that while she's quarantined and going crazy with like needing something to do because she's like used to working full time plus and being really busy. So she's cooking a bunch for you right now and it's great. She's cooking like all the recommendations for the different things we deal with is she's like designing all the food with like restrictions that are absolutely insane. If that some disabled person somewhere, maybe it's you and your mom, if you guys don't come up with a COVID, COVID cookbook after this, I don't. <laughs> Like there's so many marketing opportunities yes, for this. Missing out on opportunities here, people. So much. Yeah. So we're on like an anti-inflammatory, antihistamine diet, which basically means like you can have air. <laughs> if you're lucky. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> if your body's having a good day. That sounds fun. That sounds great. Um yeah. so 
I want to jump into the COVID stuff a little bit. So you both, have, you both have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and you both have various other disabilities. Um, as somebody with all these disabilities, or as two individuals with all these disabilities, you are probably used to already self-isolating and self-quarantining and like social distancing. And this, all this new language that's all of a sudden popped up is probably very common for you already. How do you feel Absolutely. about how do you feel about kind of do you feel do either of you feel like there's a comfort in knowing that you know how to do this already? Yes and no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. I think for both of us. Um although I have a slew of rare diseases now attached to my name, I none of those inherently make me immunocompromised or um, susceptible to COVID-19. However, I do take chemo daily um, as a treatment for my intestinal dismotility. Um, so it's a, a rare thing, but um, when you've tried all the medications out there, your team starts to get a little creative. So it's the daily chemo that makes me immunocompromised. Um, so I am used to washing my hands, keeping four to six feet away from people, being extra careful. Um, I actually, because of Ehlers-Danlos, had a dislocation event recently that left my left arm and hand completely paralyzed. So a few weeks before COVID-19 really blew up, I was in full isolation before. Um, so it really has just felt like a continuation of my normal routine. Yeah. Um, a couple of things that I wanted to just touch on before we get to, to Rachel's part of that, because I, as you were talking, Sarah, I was interested to understand. So, so because of your GI dysmotility and because I'm, I am the master of being really blunt about what you're asking. So does, does that mean like you can't poop and so they have to eat <laughs> No, it's a good question. Um, I can still drink liquids. So yeah. I've been, you know, sipping on liquids nicely for the last <laughs> two years um, while I've been getting the majority of my calories through TPN through my central line. Um, yeah. It means I usually just have diarrhea all the time, which oh, was no. normal for me now. So it doesn't kind of carry with it the added, I don't feel well I'm because I'm having this. I yeah. just always feel this way <laughs> and I always have this symptom um it would be weird if I didn't um I take even though I'm still on liquids only it takes yeah. three different motility drugs including chemo to move liquids through my system otherwise to get it would the be... liquid moving right oh, wow right my gastroparesis itself means paralysis of the stomach I am lucky enough to have my entire system paralyzed um, so it requires different meds for stomach, different meds for intestine, different meds for colon. Wow. Um, okay. Weird COVID question that I hadn't written down, but it came to me when you were talking. Yes. Are either of you worried about how the medications you're taking right now could adversely affect COVID, the COVID-19? That's a great question. Um, I, the first thing that popped into my mind has been not necessarily my personal pharmaceutical medication, but the research being done around elderberry syrup being completely um, counterproductive for COVID-19. I've seen a lot of things kind of come to the surface of my social media around that. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know how people can be so sure about all of these things um, without all the time and research that really is necessary to tell these things. Yeah. Um, and Rachel, what about you? Um, I think it's, I might just answer like kind of a combo of the two last sure, two. Sure, yeah, yeah. I feel like the kind of, my answer makes more sense together. Sure. Um, so going back just to, are we more used to isolation and social distancing and all of those types of things? On the one hand, I do feel like I have had so many years of practice being by myself. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Hey, yep. I got you right there. Yeah. And right now with my, I'm staying with my parents through this whole little blip whatever. in the world. Yeah. Disaster. <laughs> a little apocalypse. Apocalypse. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but even the difference of them not going to work and being home all day, I'm like, oh my gosh, like what is happening? That there's like, there's too many people. Like I, it's a weird thing. Like you crave the companionship when you're alone all the time, but you get so accustomed to needing, or I guess first just being comfortable being just with yourself. Yeah. And then sort of transitioning into a point, at least for me, where like I need that time by myself. Yeah. That I didn't need before getting sick in the same way. Um, and so I think part of me doesn't feel like my real day to day besides like being at my parents' house and not in my apartment. <laughs> um, it doesn't feel all that different for my day to day. Like I will say that in speaking to you, Rachel, across the country, we've spoken a few times. Um, a day. You've had a oh, day. You've <laughs> had a really tough time having access to the regular medication and treatments that yeah. you have put in place before COVID-19, like your ketamine infusions, which is yeah. so important to just functioning in your everyday life suddenly yeah. is not available to you. How yeah. are we now expected to continue living in quarantine as we did before without all of the coping strategies that we spent our entire lives putting in place? They're yeah. all now poof, simply gone. Yeah. And yeah. I think so far, like, Sorry, like Jewish knock on wood. Um, As a fellow Jewish person, I support that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Can't help it. Um, things have definitely been harder, but in terms of being able to access the things that I need at the speed I need them and that type of thing. But that was also an issue before this, just from, I think, switching states, which is another whole issue. So you, you went from, so, so where are both of you based right now? Sarah, you're in? I'm in Los Angeles. And Rachel was originally in Los Angeles with me. Well, not living with me, but living close to me as well. 
I, yeah, I've been in LA for the last 10 years and then have been with my parents the last couple of weeks. In uh, my partner travels for work constantly. So he only had like four nights in LA between January and March. And I just had gotten to a point where I needed more hands-on day-to-day support. And then that sort of led into this. So now I'm sort of here indefinitely. And so your your parents are where? Oh, I'm sorry, Philadelphia. (laughs) Oh, wow, that's a huge, I was just in LA for an award show like literally a week and a half before the world blew up. Um, And so that's a huge shift. I'm in Toronto, so we're not that far away from each other. Um, Wait, where are you? Toronto. Oh, cool. Yeah. We're we're not that far from each other. But but the mindset of being in LA versus East Coast is totally different. Yeah. And I think in some ways, like the bigger shock to my system than the changes necessary with all of this although i'm not going to minimize it like it's really unfortunate (laughs) and days that i really feel horrible it doesn't bother me so much but the days where i feel good and like i could do something and i can't that really bothers me yeah um and but i feel like sort of in January, shifting from Los Angeles to Philadelphia in the dead of winter because I was just too sick at that point to be on my own and a dependent adult. Right. I think that shift in a lot of ways was even more difficult. And I also, I don't know if you guys have experienced it, but like my anger level at healthy people has like, I've always been able to kind of, you know, have a moment where it irritates me or ignorant comments irritate me. But the the hardest thing is like, like where where have you been living? Because it's not the same planet as me. And like the rage surrounding not being able to access care in the time that they want, in the place they want, for the price they want. Mm. And like the uproar about that. And also I think that hasn't really bothered me. And also the lack of regard for anyone else in all of it and how many times we've all heard someone complain about their social life or whatever aspect of existence they're annoyed about having to be altered for those of us more vulnerable not to mention anyone can get it yeah it leads us to why we started We Are the Vulnerable in the first place, why it was that Rachel first reached out to me to say, who is starting this? No, no one else is here. This is an important 
we are important. We need to be heard. Our voices need to be heard. Our faces need to be seen. Um, and at first, when, when Rachel reached out to me about starting this, my first reaction was, no, I don't want to take this on. I want to be focused on self-care at a time like this, when the world is imploding, when I am in my own personal crisis, I don't want to have to carry everyone else. Yeah. But when I sat with it a little bit longer and I looked at all the amazing disabled activists and chronically ill activists around me on social media, because we are socially distancing these days. Um, and I saw, I was just tired of seeing everyone else willing to do more work than I was. So we decided to start this kind of, it started as a hashtag, yeah. we are the vulnerable. Um, and every day it's picked up a little bit more. It's doubled in size. We actually, because we are so fledgling and new at this podcast, social media world, we decided to partner with an already existing um, foundation in the chronic illness world. It's called Fight Like, Fight like a Warrior. Um, and they started their own kind of campaign with us. The hashtag is protect the vulnerable. We are the vulnerable. Um, and through their website, you can find uh, the place to make a pledge to invite others to take the pledge to social distance and um, print out the graphic. If you want, you can make your own sign, but we just really encourage people to take a photo, post it to social media and share your story. Let the world see why it is. It is so important to social distance and yeah. isolate. Yeah, completely. One other little piece on that from kind of where it became so important to me. Um, this is going to be the weird part. So just bear with me. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I went to NYU um, and they have a school of individualized study. So my technical college major was individualized study in the construction of identity with an emphasis on narrative, which means I was looking at how people conceptualize existence and make sense of life um, and how that's been through, yeah, through stories throughout history. So looking at literature, drama, film, mythology, folklore, and then how the stories we tell subsequently shape our identity individually and culturally. So I know that's a lot. And then from there, I ended up a speech pathologist, which was like a more practical application of the importance of communication. And one of the things, and a lot of the research I did throughout grad school and one of the things that I just feel like I saw so consistently through both my undergraduate studies and speech studies and practice was just how impactful people's stories really are. Yep. And how important those stories being told are in order to make any change happen. Like we need to have a clear narrative of who we are or we go into like psychic crisis yeah completely and, um, and and i think that we felt like it was important to differentiate our movement from others that are existing right now like the i stay home for fill in the blank um although it's gotten a lot of traction we felt like 
that was just passing the microphone to like white wealthy celebrities to like name their one sick friend <laughs> that they knew in third grade. Like, thank you, but Shots no. fired, Sarah. Shots <laughs> fired. Shots fired. Sorry. Too much? Too much. No, um, I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm here for it. Shots fired, though. <laughs> I feel like we've dehumanized so much with a lot of the digital. And in my head, I it was just, I want the people making decisions about what's open and closed. I want my friends who are deciding whether or not to go to the beach on the weekend. I want- Isn't that ridiculous? That's still happening. People are still- Yeah, it's still happening. Not, so there's like a few angry rants on my social media the last week, so. (laughs) I I hope I'm following the both of you and if I'm not at the end of this, I will be. Um, so I did, I was just, I want to go back on some of the stuff you said as you were talking, cause like I had five questions pop in my head as you were talking, Rachel, um, you said you did individualized study, which is code for the school didn't know what the fuck to do with you. And you wanted, <laughs> yeah. to, you wanted to do something cool and like different around disability and chronic illness. And the school was like, uh, we'll call it individualized study. And then, no. yeah, no, it's not. So NYU actually has seven, is a university that's made up of seven different colleges. And one of the colleges is called Gallatin School of Individualized Study. And you apply to it separately. Like oh, you okay. in business school or Tisch for the arts. Um, and so it's not like there is a, a program, but part of it, the program is really designing your own education and leading it in the direction you want rather than following rules. Kind of like how everybody will have to do now that we all can't go to class anymore. But right. I mean, I- Screaming I in up. my brain, thank you, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I bring that up because when I was finishing my master's, I studied law and disability at a school in Canada and they didn't have a disability program there. So I literally, the last two years of my master's program, I did legal studies and, and law at the school and and I the last two years I built my whole mm-hmm. master's program from zero because they didn't have it so I did the research I did the syllabus I did the readings I I did all of that and at the end I got a degree a master's degree but I was like I created that what <laughs> I feel like so often people who have disabilities or who just try to take a different path the it's all resting on our shoulders I I feel so strongly that it should not just be disabled, chronically ill voices that are supporting each other. Like we can't just be screaming into the echo chamber. Yeah. It has, it has to stop being an echo chamber. Um, And we have to start talking to non-disabled people, but that's the hard part because I agree with what Rachel said. I agree that we're all angry and I agree that the anger is valid. But if you come at it, if you come at a non-disabled person with anger around disability, in a way that isn't palatable for them, they shut you right down. Right. So it's, it's learning to take that anger and mobilize it in a way that's like, I'm so fucking angry, but I'm going to be angry with a smile on my face. So <laughs> you will take me seriously. Um, yeah. I, it's hard. It's incredibly hard. It, it, I can't believe that that pressure rests on our shoulders as well. Not just that we have to be like a magnet for all of these problems but we also have to find a way to 
consolidate it and spoon feed it back to the healthy masses in a way that won't let them hate us or yeah. forget that we exist. Yeah. It's ironic that you said spoon feed because you can't do that. So I just thought that was, I just thought that was <laughs> so funny. Good. So I was just good. like, that's really, that's hilarious. Uh, yes. There are a lot of like food in language things that are no longer accessible to me <laughs> that is one of them <laughs> that's a whole podcast all day so i might have yes. to bring you back just for that please do we'll go all day um um oh i have like three or four more podcast ideas we'll talk about it after but i have yes. all these ideas I'm like i want to do this let's do this um so i want to ask you both then the question that i have for you is a, f- a funner question than like some of the deeper stuff we're about to get to but what is the best and worst parts of social distancing before this, during this, after this? What is the best and worst part? Best and worst parts of social distancing. Interesting question. Um, I think one of the best parts of social distancing for me has been, I, I have this really beautiful window that sits across my bed. I've been in bed a lot these days. Um, and I've seen more people taking walks and like rollerblading and throwing balls in the street than I have seen in years in this neighborhood, decades, the entire time I've been here probably. Um, And of course they're in, you know, one or two people walking their dogs, practicing social distancing, but people are turning to new coping strategies. And obviously we can't see the majority of it because hopefully you're doing it behind closed doors. Yeah. But in the few like windows I get to see into the world, I do get to see that. And I can appreciate that from even inside while I social distance. Awesome. And Rachel? Oh, no, wait, sorry, Sarah. The worst part of social distancing for you is... Oh, the worst. Sorry, I was trying to get out of that clearly subconsciously. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I guess uh, one of the worst parts probably has just been realizing that my life has been social distancing this entire time or Isn't since that a weird finished, feeling it's like it's i do this all the time but for some reason now it feels extra intense it does and my social I, I am an introvert at heart and my social media life my like phone life my email my zoom my skype my facetime it's blowing up because all of but it's intense (laughs) yeah in a good way but it's also really overwhelming um it's really hard to now shift all of the other relationships that i had managed on the side that weren't all online are now suddenly all online in addition to my other support systems like the chronically ill community like the disabled community that i focus online with so it's a lot it, it, it definitely is a lot. And so, Rachel, the same question to you. Um, what is the best part of social, the best part of social distancing? Um, besides cuddling with your cats more. Or having your mom cook awesome food for you. <laughs> yeah, those parts aren't bad. Um, I think... And is it Jewish soul food is my question? Is my... Mm. <laughs> is, it like, is it like Lutka's and like... Gefilte fish? Because, I mean... Oh, oh God. No. Gefilte fish. No? To gefilte fish? Both of you? I'm not allowed to... I don't like gefilte fish. I don't need any fish, though. Oh, no. As a... As a I cannot a, believe you like gefilte fish. I don't how know. How do you... Friends, we're going to have to work through this. Like <laughs> okay, also, brisket. Brisket. 
right now are like so insane that <laughs> I am mostly eating like rice. <laughs> yep. Safe food. Yeah. yeah. Makes so, sense. But yeah, it's good. I think so I think the best parts or best part or whatever is has been two things. I think one forcing people to slow down a little bit is a good thing. Mm. And I think at least some of my friends, which I always feel super weird about comments like this because I'm like, no, still you don't, but okay. But I've had a lot of friends say, this is, you've said to me in the past that not working is really hard and that being home all the time is really hard. And I always sort of thought you were being dramatic and, or like, whatever that it can't be harder to be home than it is to go to work. And I'm like, right, okay. But it is a lot of the time. And having people having to do it for a short period of time, you know, relative to... The next two years of possibly the apocalypse, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and how many weeks I've spent in the hospital or weeks that I couldn't really go out of the apartment because I'm recovering from surgery. Like I've done this before and I have had a couple of people come and say, I, I think I understand now what you mean when you say it's hard to be home. And so I, anything that helps a healthy person understand even a little bit about what our life's, are actually like I feel like is a good thing yeah um and it's sad that it had to come at this cost and also the the reports of how much healing the earth has been able to do with us Mm -hmm. being out of the picture just a week (laughs) is encouraging you know devastating that we're such horrible parasites but also <laughs> like assuring that the world is still capable of healing and that is a beautiful thing that's yep. Yep. Thing. the worst the worst part has been not being able to stay on schedule with doctor's appointments at times having them have to cancel because they don't want you coming in. You're compromised at all. Yeah. Um, I, we were looking into a surgery to help with my ribs um, and hoping to get that done kind of soon. And all elective. Um, Non-emergent procedures that are now being right. shut down. Yeah. With no time yeah. frame of when that's going to be. And the idea of like being in lockdown for however many months this is. For like seven or eight months. Like. And then only to be released to surgery to repeat is like a horrifying thing. I can't quite 
put my head around yet. Oh, yeah, I know. Of course. Like it, the, the fact that you would, you would get out for a couple of weeks and then you'd have to go yeah. right back in again yeah. to recover. It's, to, it's, to, it's, it's terrifying. And the fact that I think a lot of people in our community are going to end up having to do that because people can't, it's not safe for so many people to go unless it's a real emergency. Yeah. Right. And now. so many places are shut down. They're not even accepting. Um, I'm currently in limbo with my insurance company. Who isn't, honestly? Um, I'm currently in limbo. This with my is why company. I'm really happy that I live in Canada where med- medicine is socialized. And I. <sighs> the dream. It's not 100% as amazing as you might think it is over there. When you're disabled, no matter where you go, they don't know how to take care of you. So that part Amen. sucks. But to know that I can go into a hospital and not have to worry about how am I going to pay for this right now. Yes, that is also, that's a huge struggle. Um, I'm in limbo with my insurance company for a neural uh, nerve stimulator implant for my shoulder. Um, and The more and more I talk to you, the more and more I feel like you're slowly becoming seven A cyborg? Nine. Yeah, which I'm, <laughs> which I'm fully okay with, but that's just... <laughs> That's me. One by one, I will be replaced by uh, cybernetics. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, who knows? I, I genuinely have no idea when we will be able to have access to these things. Um, we're trying to get this done as soon as humanly possible so that if insurance does somehow grant me what I need, um, I can slip in before all the surgery centers close. Uh, but more and more i mean situation changes hourly these days like by the minute literally yeah Yeah. well the conversation around it was even if they could do the surgery before the rush if i were to leave and have a problem Mm. you couldn't you couldn't go back in yeah you know you're kind of stuck so it's just and to have to be in the hospitals right now for a few days is the whole idea of going to the hospital right now is as a disabled person who is terrifying. relatively healthy, but it's t- I'm terrified. I'm like I don't want to go. I don't want to go in. If I go there, for whatever reason, I will die. Yeah. Right. And I think half the fear is yes. If I go there and get exposed, I will die. But also, if I go there, will they turn me away? Yeah. Will yeah. I even be granted access to the care that I need? I don't know. That's scary. Really it really scary. is because for a lot of us, the ER is a coping strategy. It is the only way for us to break through 10 out of 10 pain because yeah. we're not allowed our medications that would actually work. Um, or because right now think, we don't have access they, to them. Yeah. Because they think you're drug seeking in right now. You don't have, like, that's yep. the system and it's ridiculous. Um, it's ruthless. It's just, it's just sad. It just hurts my heart actually. Um, yeah. So we kind of touched on this a little bit with all of what we're talking about, but I'm going to bring it up anyway because it's an official question that I had. Um, what scares you the m- both the most about COVID-19 as immunocompromised and disabled people? Um, and, and what do you think would happen to you as somebody with your myriad of disabilities if you were to contract COVID-19? I think if I were to contract it and my family was compliant with my advanced directives, I would die. 
and sorry, what was the first half? And what 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 is something what what scares you about possibly contracting COVID nineteen? Other than the fact that you would die. <laughs> Yeah. As just that answer right there. I mean, that's you. We can say that's pretty powerful right there. That's not my greatest fear, though. To be honest, around it, although maybe that's twisted. But I, I, I kind of like the answer, though. Yeah. Let's hear it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like the the biggest fear would be someone extremely close to me getting it getting to the point of death and not being able to say goodbye. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Oof. I hadn't even thought of that one. And that one hit me really hard. I mean, uh, yeah. Oh, wow. I was my honest answer. <laughs> it's a good answer. It's, it is a good answer. I mean, I, I had a, I had a nightmare yeah. recently about contracting COVID-19 and I was like, I was, the dream was me in the hospital I got it. I was dying. I died. And nobody could, could mm. say goodbye to me because I was in isolation. And, and also, nobody at the hospital knew how to take care of me. So I didn't die because of the virus. I died because they don't know how to manage a disabled person's care. And that is truthfully the, the biggest fear I have. It's not, I don't, I'm not afraid of hospitals. And I'm sure the two of you, like we know how to be hospital patients. But in this particular instance, it's terrifying as fuck. Because absolutely what if i get pushed down the list and what if i don't survive because you didn't prioritize me enough and also on top of that mm. it's or what if there just aren't enough ventilators go ahead well that too but also i think one of the things that scares me is how openly people or how comfortable people seem to be saying openly that it's okay for the elderly and disabled to die and that that's not like why you know, i mean we've all seen and heard all the comments of you've touched on my greatest fear right there rage that yeah. is you've touched on my greatest fear right there which is the apathy of the entire world to my death it isn't necessarily my own death, but it is the fact that so many people are so okay with you know, a good 20% of the global population who are elderly, who are dis disabled, who are you know, at higher risk, that they won't care that we are cannon fodder, basically, um, for their ability to go out and socialize. Yeah. And it's not even something they appear to be ashamed of. Mm. That's, that's the scariest part. That, right. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't know what to do with that when interacting with the rest of the world. <laughs> Where, and, what do we do with that fear? What do we do with that? How do we like, Without turning to straight rage and being angry and just kind of screaming in social media. It's hard. Yeah. How do you move that into a productive place? It's, 
I don't know if you, I don't know if that needs to be productive. I, I think that needs to be its own separate mm. thing. Maybe not a separate thing, but I think that rage is allowed to be as loud and as, <laughs> as necessary as possible because as much as I do a lot of the work where I am trying to, and I'll be honest, there are many times in the work that I do where I try to be palatable to non-disabled people. Yeah. There are many times in the work that I do where I try to, I have a palatability as a white cis disabled man who's able to speak. I have a, I have a, mm-hmm. I have a, I can make people comfortable, but I do fully, fully respect and understand and, and feel the anger of like, you really think that my, my death is inevitable and you don't seem to care. But yeah. if it were you who was going to die, they would do everything for you. And that's, that hurts. Yeah, that really, that makes me, to think of all the disabled people that I know who would just be gone because somebody didn't sign a proper order to make sure we deserved to live. Like, I am waiting for Donald Trump. This will never happen. But I'm waiting forever for, waiting. <laughs> yeah, forever. I'm waiting for somebody from his fucking team or somebody from the government somewhere to stand up on a podium, look in the camera and say, disabled people of the world slash America like we, we care yeah we're here for you we're gonna do our best yeah it's never gonna ha- it's never gonna happen but i mean i th- i think also you touched on another huge fear stressor whatever you want to call that i have and i know a lot of other people have um is how our government is responding or not responding to this the fact that we have donald trump as our president in this time is Terrifying. so disappointing in so many ways um it's hard to actually describe how much i miss obama right now i mean yep i mean (laughs) he by comparison he's a prince like by just i mean right he he didn't do a hundred percent amazing things either but if we're to look at like just the last year of of like what the? F- the bar is set so low. It's so low, so low for American presidents these days. So low. Like, can we just give him? Can we just allow this one time in, in history? Can we give somebody a third term? Because I'm ready. Like, <laughs> can we just? I'm ready for it. So ready. And if ever we needed a time for leadership, actual leadership, it's now, and we're not getting it. And I think that only fuels the fear. Yeah. 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 And I think that also the disconnect between what is going on on city and state levels and what's going on on a national level is, and then being totally out of sync. And then you see things like, okay, well, this county has to close these beaches. So then yeah. everyone goes to the next beach where the county hasn't closed it yet. And it's just chaos yeah social distancing does not mean gather in a new place that isn't closed down yeah and then because it's outside like it's just i i just i don't know why people don't care more and don't take it serious i mean i understand that young people think oh i'll get it it'll be a flu and i'll be fine but, but yo, people die from the flu. Like, 
Right. Yeah. Like it's not going to just. That's not necessarily true. Yeah. And even so, like you don't, you don't have one person in your life that's elderly or compromised in any way. How do you convince the world's most selfish population, which is young people, teenagers, college kids, that the- other people exist? It's very yeah. hard. But it's also that it comes from the top. Like yesterday, CNN had a whole article responding to Trump's tweets saying, um, essentially, what is a life worth? And that that's the calculations and calculation being made is how much money is being lost in the market from everything being closed and that being the sole motivation of Trump wanting to get everything open as fast as possible, regardless Mm. of the safety concerns. And that's the the moment where I want to scream and say, look at every one of our faces and tell me, like- How can you make the decision so- How can you look at my face and everyone, in our situation's face and say that any sort of dollar amount is more important than your lives. Yeah. It's like, which is why I guess I feel like it's so important that we get our stories out there and we get our faces out there and try and get people to recognize that these aren't vague people with underlying conditions. These, the real people who you're going to kill if you don't do something now. Yeah, we're your sisters, we're your neighbors, we're your employees, we're your friends. We're somebody, and you know, because I'm a sex podcast, I'll say this, we're somebody who you could fuck if you just... Yes! Like, you could fuck us. We are fuckable. Yeah, if you just (laughs) let us live, we (laughs) might want to fuck you, maybe. Might. Might. (laughs) High caveat of might. Make good choices and we'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bring me some latkes and then maybe it'll be a discussion. Um, so my last two COVID-centric questions for you both are, what advice would you give to disabled and immunocompromised people right now who are, much like us, going through something they're very used to? What If you could use your voice right now to give them kind of a, a soundbite of hope during this weird, uncertain time, what would you say? I would say lean into yourself, trust yourself. You've, you know how to do this. I know it feels different, but it really isn't. Lean into your support systems, lean into social media, lean into your connections. And if you can, be a voice for those who don't have one. Um, and that might just mean liking things on social media. It might mean tapping your you know, friend on the shoulder, not actually in person and letting them know that we need your help. We, as the faces of the vulnerable, we need your support. But if you're not able to do that, that's okay too. I mean, these are terrible times. We need to be there to support each other. And if you need the support, someone will be there to support you. Yeah. I also would say that if you are up for it, I think this is a really great time to explore advocacy 
And I do feel like the work that we've been doing with We Are the Vulnerable has been able to help me take a lot of my anxious energy and anger about everything and place it somewhere productive and whether or not it saves a single life, which I hope it does. Hmm. Um, If for nothing else, it's helping me to have a purpose during this time. And I think having a purpose beyond survival, which Hmm. is obvious. I mean, we know that's like three full-time jobs for all of us. Amen. But I just, I personally find that even doing just a little bit online or connecting or sending a letter to a representative with like a single click or any of those things, taking the time to educate yourself a little bit more on the topics that we're talking about as we're going into an election, especially, Mm. and understand that I am so happy. Really impact our day to day lives. Yeah. I'm so happy that I don't live in America right now because I'm not in your crazy American election cycle. Oh, I'm watching it. But, like, I'm, as, I'm an, I was born in, in Laguna Beach, so I am technically an American, but I am so happy that I did not, was not <laughs> yeah, that I was not given a choice and I moved up north. But um, I was a baby, so I had no choice. But I'm glad that I got to like get the fuck out of there. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think this is the time my American friends who can vote and who should vote, this is the time to realize that you don't want Trump for another term. No, Just, like, please. You, please. Yeah. I mean... And also recognize the importance of state and local officials because if you're looking at this crisis, our president is not the one leading any sort of successful charge. And you're looking at governors and mayors for actual leadership, or at least I am. Yeah, um, it's true. I think a lot more people are turning to local governments for information, for updates, um, for strength and leadership because our federal government has failed so miserably. So miserably. Um, the next half of that question is, what advice would you give to non-disabled people who may be social distancing for the first time, who may be quarantining for the first time, who may be learning about the things that we have navigated for the very first time in a, in a way that, it, that is, in, in your best estimation, in a way that is as bringing together re as possible, <laughs> what, would you, what advice would you give to them? I actually, I, I go ahead. One. <laughs> I think the biggest lesson, I feel like Sarah heard me say this a hundred times, so sorry, but I, I feel like the biggest lesson that I want healthy people to gain from this experience is that any society can only be as healthy as its sickest member. And we can't vote on what's best for the people at the top. And if you look at where some of the most dangerous situations are, 
these were not problems that we were unaware of before. The homeless epidemic has been a huge issue that has not been adequately addressed and now is putting millions of extra people at risk because you have so many people in confined areas without proper sanitation, without access to medical care, and can't keep them home. You yeah, know? Right. Like, yeah. And the fact that we have all of these people across the country who don't have safe homes with proper sanitation to go to only feeds into this. And so it's not just about those who are vulnerable during the crisis. It's there are vulnerable people who were vulnerable before and are going to be vulnerable after. And it's time to do something different and stop waiting to the crisis point to address these problems. If we would have addressed the homeless crisis Already in the first, you know, many, many years that it was evident that it was a crisis, our whole situation could look different right now. Sure. And we can't, we just, we can't operate as a functional free society without equality and without having each other's backs and yeah I think I would affect you but it does absolutely I think I would piggyback off of that um and just ask people as kindly as possible to educate themselves um take this time and talk to the people in their lives that have been isolated that are disabled that have done this before don't be afraid of us um I think so often a lot of people don't reach out to these kinds of populations because we are so othered. We are so different from them. Now there is a very thin veil that separates us. And I think now is the time to kind of break that boundary a little bit. We can't always be the one breaking it. We would like you to also come to us, ask for our advice, ask for what we've been doing to cope and how we can help or how they can help. Um, yeah. I would also, I'm just hearing what you say I, and listening to what you're saying. I think that I would bolster what you said by saying, be afraid of us. Talk to us anyway. <laughs> I love it. Like, go ahead and be afraid. You're, I think it's important to recognize that so many people are afraid of us. Hmm. And that isn't a negative thing. I know why you're afraid. You're afraid because systems have made us seem scary. Yes. Stories have painted us to be the scary one throughout millennia and history and all these times. So be afraid. Do it anyway. But do it, like, just try. And if if I snap at you as a disabled person, well, then I maybe had a reason. And, like, <laughs> if I am kind to you and I have the spoons to give you my advice that day, take it and run with it. Like, but don't, mm -hmm. I don't think we can discount the fear because, if we start telling people not to be afraid of us, and I, I, I agree with your point, but I think that if we tell, start telling people not to be afraid, then they have to try to figure out how not to be afraid, and we don't have time for that. <laughs> like, 
be afraid and do it anyway. Come hang out and then you'll realize you have nothing to be afraid of. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you do because we're so awesome. You should be fucking afraid. Um, yeah, yeah. But so those were all my, <laughs> those were all my written down questions. Is there, is there anything else the two of you want to share today? Um, no, I mean, I think we kind of covered it. I, I just, I want to thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to speak about all these things that we've been kind of pushing down uh, this entire time. So thank you for giving us the outlet. Anytime. I would love, I would love to come on your show when it, as it gets bigger, I would love to help it grow. I think Thank you. we were talking before we hit record, but I, I said to you, Sarah, that before I said before that like um, these, we need more dis- disabled voices in the podcast space, in the digital media space. So I love what you're doing. And if I can support in any way, I'm happy to. Um, I just think it's great. And I think, I think just this conversation with the three of us could like, it's something that needs to happen more of. So I hope that we can cultivate that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I agree. I think now is the time to actually pass the microphone, literally, um, to our own voices. Um, and if you can, if you have the ability, start a podcast, start a website, start a blog, do do something. As Rachel said, it, it does help the anxiety. Um, but at the I same mean- time... Even if it doesn't go anywhere, do it right. anyway, and then and then do it for your own damn self. Yeah, and then like I, I'm doing a class. On the by the time this comes out, it'll, 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 the first one will have gone. But I'm doing a an Instagram live class where I do disability history for anybody that wants to come on and watch me do that. I just decided oh like God. I love disability history. I want to make it a thing, so I'm gonna do it. That's great. Friday. I will partake. Friday at three. Awesome. <laughs> yes, I, I feel like any and all outlets should be used and and it, team up with other people. You don't have to do it all by yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you're not collaboration. Alone. Yeah. And there's you know, plenty of people doing things. Ask what you can do to help. Totally. Exactly. You don't want to come up start from zero. Mm-hmm. But starting from zero is kind of fun because then you can create something totally new. It is um, a beautiful thing. <laughs> Um, this was great. Thank you so much for coming on and, and taking the time with me today. And it was a really fun, important conversation, way deeper than I expected <laughs> it to go. I'm glad it went there. Thank you both. How can the people listening get a hold of both of you? Yeah, um, both of us are very active on Instagram. Um, unfortunately, my Facebook <laughs> has been um, out of use for quite some time. Uh, but my Instagram handle is I'm still here, SGB. Um, you can find me there. You can also find us and this We Are the Vulnerable Movement on Instagram as well. And I'm R. Kamen on Instagram. And our website is in progress. Be patient with us. <laughs> Take your time. I am. I am. As we can get it done. I'm a, I'm a social media person and I know how to do some of that stuff. So if you get stuck and you need awesome. a hand. Like, thank you. People helping people. That's all we need right now. That's literally all it is right now. Thank you so much. This was great. Um, yeah, hope to touch base with you again, again soon and talk about more great things. Yeah, well, um, we're going to talk as soon as I hit off. But um, <laughs> yes. this, was, this was amazing. Uh, this has been the team at We Are Vulnerable, uh, Sarah Bensinger and Rachel Kamen. Thank you so much for coming on today to the to the fifth or sixth episode of Quarantine and Chill. 
If you are out there listening and you want to be on Quarantine and Chill, part of the Disability After Dark podcast, you can email me directly at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Let me know how COVID-19 is affecting you. Let me know what the fuck you're scared about. And let's make an episode. This has been such a great time. And we will see you for the regular episodes on Thursdays and the bonus episodes until we're out of quarantine, which could be never, every Friday. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thanks. It's telling me... All right, everybody, that was another episode of Quarantine and Chill. Thank you for listening to this. I hope you're staying safe and staying home and staying quarantined and feeling okay. If you want to be on any of my shows in this podcast feed, and there's going to be a whole bunch of them, if you want a guest talking about a movie review, if you want to talk about access with me, if you want to talk about disability tech with me, a whole bunch of new shows are going to be coming on the feed at different points. Uh, we're do- I'm doing a lot of stuff to expand Disability After Dark into more than just one show and more than just one idea, and I'm really excited about that, so if you want to be a part of that, disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. If you want to support the show in any way, you can go to, to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark, pledge as little as $1 a month or $5 a month to keep this show going. I will be making some tier changes as I add more programming, but I'll let you know about that on the on my social media at it's Andrew Gerza, or you can also follow me at disaftdarkpod on the disaftdarkpod Twitter feed. I'll do I do stuff there as well. So follow us there. Stay safe. Stay crippled. Stay quarantined. Stay cozy. And we'll be back next week for a new quarantine and chill, and on Thursday for a regular episode of Disability After Dark. Thanks, friends. Bye. Copyright notice. Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations, with music by Chris Ujiuji. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be distributed or used without express permission. Copyright 2020.